Chapter 12 of Hindu Trails or The Adventures of Ten Princes by Tandon Translated by P. W. Jacob This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Siddharth Adventures of Visruta My lord, as I was wandering one day in the forest of Vindhya, I met with a very handsome boy, standing by the side of a well, crying bitterly. When I asked him what the matter was, he said, The old man who was with me, when trying to get water from this well, fell in and I am unable to help him. What will become of me? Hearing this, I looked down the well, which was not very deep, and I saw the old man standing at the bottom, the water not being sufficient to cover him. By means of a long and tough stem of a creeper, I pulled him up safely, then using it again as a rope. With a cup made from the hollow stem of a bamboo, I drew water from the poor child. I drew water for the poor child, who was half dead with thirst and finding that he was suffering from hunger also, I knocked down some nuts from the top of a high tree with a well-aimed blow of a stone. The old man was very grateful for my timely assistance, and when we were all comfortably seated in the shade, he gave me, at my request, a long account of the circumstances which had brought him there, saying, There was formerly a king of Vidarbha, remarkable for wisdom and justice, learned in the scriptures, a protector of his subjects, by whom he was much beloved, a terror to his enemies, wise in political science, upright and honest in all his actions, kind to his dependents, grateful for even small services, and gracious to all. Having lived the full age of man, he died, leaving a prosperous kingdom to his son, Anantavarma, but caring more for the mechanical arts, music, and poetry than for his duties as a ruler. One day, one of his father's old counsellors and private addressed him thus sire your majesty with the advantage of royal birth has almost every good quality that can be desired your intelligence is very great your knowledge superior to that of others but all this without instruction in political science and attention to public affairs is insufficient for a king void of such knowledge he is despised not only by foreigners but by his own subjects nor disregarding all laws human and divine at last perish miserably and drag down their sovereign in their fall a king who has not political wisdom however however good his eyesight may be is regarded by the wise as a blind man unable to see things as they are i entreat you therefore to give up the pursuits to which you are so devoted and to study the art of government your power will then be strengthened and you may long reign over a happy and prosperous people to this exhaustion the young king appeared to listen attentively and said such is the teaching of the wise it ought to be followed after dismissing the old counsellor the king went into the women's apartments and began to talk to them of the exhortation which he had just received his observations were attentively listened to by one of his constant attendants who determined if possible to turn the king's thoughts in another direction and prevent him from being influenced by the good advice which had then been given this man but devoid of honour and honesty false slanderous a receiver of bribes a bad man in every way yet from his wit and humour very acceptable to the king whom we now thus addressed wherever there is a person of exalted position there are always clever rogues ready to prey upon him and while degrading him to accomplish their own base purposes some under the guise of religion will tell him 
The happiness of this world is short-lived and fleeting. Eternal happiness can only be gained by prayer and penance. And so, they persuade him to shave his head, wear a dress of skins, gird himself with a rope of sacred grass, and renouncing all pleasures and luxuries to betake himself to fasting and penance, and give away his riches to the poor, meaning, of course, themselves. Some of these religious impostors will even persuade their dupes to renounce children, wife, nay, even life itself. But suppose a man to have too much sense to be deluded in this way, they will try a different plan. To one, they will say, We can make gold, only furnish us with the means, and your riches shall be increased a thousandfold. To another, We can show you how to destroy all your enemies without a weapon. To another, Follow our advice, and, and though you are nobody now, you shall soon become a great man. If their victim is a sovereign, they will say to him, Four branches of study are said to be proper for kings, the Vedas, the Puranas, metaphysics, and political science. But the first three are of very little advantage. They may safely be neglected, and he should give up his mind to the last only. Are there not the six thousand verses comp composed for the use of kings in containing the whole science? Learn these by heart, and, and you will be prepared for all emergencies. So then he must set to work to learn all these crabbed rules. He must, according to them, distrust everyone, even wife or son. He must rise early, take a very scanty meal, and immediately proceed to business. First. He must go over accounts and balance income and expenditure, and while his rascally ministers pretend to have everything very exact, they have a forty thousand ways of cheating him and take good care of themselves. Then he must sit in public and be tired of death with receiving frivolous complaints and petitions, and will not even have the satisfaction of doing justice. For whether a cause for whether a cause be just or not, his ministers will take care that the decision shall be according to their own interest. Then he is allotted for a short time for bathing, dressing and dining, if indeed the poor wretch can venture to dine with the constant fear of poison in his mind. After this he must remain a long time in the council with his ministers perplexed with their conflicting arguments, and unable to understand even the half of them. While they are pretending to act impartially, get everything settled as they had previously agreed, and by twisting and distorting the reports of spies and emissaries, manage to serve themselves and their friends, and to get credit for putting down disturbances which they themselves had excited. He is now allowed to take a little amusement, but the time for this restricted to an hour and a half. Then he must review his army. Hear the reports of the commander of his forces, give orders for peace or war, and act upon the accounts brought by spies and emissaries. However, very he may be with all this, he must sit down and, and read diligently, like some poor student, for several hours. He may retire to rest, but before he has had half enough sleep, he will be awakened early in the morning, and the priest will come to him and say, There is an unfavorable conjunction of the planets. Evil omens have appeared. There is danger impending. The gods must be propitiated. Let a sacrifice be made today. The Brahmans are continually engaged in supplicating the gods on your behalf. 
your prosperity is dependent on their prayers. They are miserably poor and have many children to support. Let large donations be made. Thus the greedy virtues, under the pretense of religion, are continually robbing the king and enriching themselves. This is the sort of life which you will have to lead if you give yourself up to the guidance of those grey beards and after all though you may have studied and studied poured over their musty volumes and listened to their tedious lectures you are not sure of doing right and who are these fellows who set themselves up for mice men do they always do right are they not often themselves cheated by the unlearned common sense is far better than all this learning instinct and feeling will guide us in the right way even an infant without teaching finds out how to draw nourishment from the mother's breast cast aside then the rules and restrictions with which these old fools would bind you follow your natural inclinations and enjoy life while you can you possess youth beauty and strength you have a large army ten thousand elephants and three hundred thousand horses your treasury is full of gold and jewels and you would and you would not be emptied and would not be emptied in a thousand years what more would you have life is short and those who are always thinking of adding to their possessions go on toiling to the last and never really enjoy them but why should i waste your time with needless arguments commit then the cares of government to your ministers spend your time with your ladies and congenial friends like me enjoy drinking music and dancing and trouble yourself no more with affairs of state having thus spoken he prostrated himself in a very humble attitude at the feet of his master who remained for a time silent as if undecided the woman who had been listening with delight to all that was said seeing his hesitation assembled round him and with sweet words and caresses easily persuaded him to follow his own inclination and theirs from that time the young king given up entirely to the to pleasures and amusements left the affairs of the kingdom to his ministers and and while allowing them to manage as they pleased provided they did not trouble him openly treated them with insolence and neglect and even took pleasure in hearing them ridiculed by the worthless parasites who surrounded him so that even the wisest of his ministers while lamenting the sad state of, of affairs could only acknowledge their inability to remedy it and wait till some great public calamity or the invasion of the country by a neighboring sovereign who was gradually extending his dominions by force or cunning should bring the young king to his senses ere long what they had expected came to pass for the king of asmaka who had for some time coveted the country but did not dare openly to invade it while it was strong and prosperous took measures in secret to weaken the authority of anathorma and diminish his resources and lest he should perchance see the error of his ways and abandon his vicious courses he secretly gave a commission to the son of one of his ministers a young man of great abilities and agreeable manners an eloquent flatterer an amusing companion who arrived at the court of Anantavarma, attended by numerous retinue, as if travelling about for his own pleasure. This man soon became intimate with the king, and took care to fall in with all his tastes, and to justify and praise every pursuit which he engaged in. Thus, if he saw the king fond of hunting, 
he would say, what a fine manly sport this is. How it strengthens the body, braces the spirits and quickens the inclusions. While roaming over hill and dale, you become acquainted with the country by destroying the deer and wild buffaloes. You benefit the husbandmen by killing the tigers and other wild beasts. You make travelling safer. And he would go on this way without any allusion to the damage and destruction caused by the king's hunting expeditions. If gambling was the favourite amusement or there was an excessive devotion to women or to drink, he would very ingeniously bring forward everything that could be said in favour of them, passing over their disadvantages in silence. If the king was lavish to his dependents, he would praise his generosity. If cruel, he would say, such severity is good. You maintain your own dignity by it. A king ought not to be like a patient devotee, submitting to insults and ready to forgive. That wicked wretch obtained great influence over the king and employed it to lead him into all sorts of excesses. With such an example before them, all classes became gradually corrupted. The magistrates neglected their duties and thought only of how they might enrich themselves. Great criminals who could bribe escaped with impunity, the weak were oppressed by the strong. Violence and robbery were rampant, disturbances broke out on all sides, and severe and indiscriminating punishments unleashed stirred up indignation without repressing crime. The revenue diminished while expenditure was increasing. Everywhere loud complaints were heard and great distress prevailed. As if all this were not sufficient, the cruel king of Asmaka sent emissaries in all directions to mix unsuspectedly with the inhabitants of Vidarbha and do as much mischief as possible. Some would distribute subtle poisons in various ways, some would stir up quarrels between neighboring villages and so cause party fights. Some contrived to let loose a furious elephant into a crowd or get up an alarm by other means and so caused a sudden panic in which the people trampled down each other and many lives were lost. Others, disguised as hunters promising abundance of game, would tempt men into some narrow valley between high mountains where they were devoured by tigers or unable to find their way out again, perished of hunger and thirst. By these and many and many other devices they succeeded in destroying life and weakening the country so that less resistance might be offered to the invader. Then, thinking the time to be arrived, the king of Asmaka prepared for war. Meanwhile, his emissary was leading on the foolish young king to destruction. And at this very time, as if in a perfect security, he was amusing himself with the performances of a celebrated actress and dancer, having at the instigation of his, of his treacherous friend persuaded her by large donations to leave the king of, of Kuntala, with whom she was a great favourite. Indignant at such an insult, the king was very easily persuaded to join the king of Asvaka, who had already obtained several other allies eager to have share in the expected conquest and plunder. Thus, when the country was actually invaded, no effectual resistance was made. Anantavar was easily defeated and fell into the power of his cruel enemy. The cunning king of Asmaka, who had gained his allies by many liberal promises, had no intention of sharing the, con the conquered country with anyone. He professed, however, great disinterestedness, 
declared that, that he should be contented with a very small part and having desired his allies to arrange between themselves what each should take contrived by his intrigues to make them quarrel over the division the result was that they fought with and so weakened each other that he was able to disregard their claims and to annex the whole of the conquered country to his own dominions after the defeat and death of anantavarma an old and faithful minister escaped with the queen and her two children this boy and his elder sister manjuwadini together with a few faithful followers including myself and though the old minister was taken ill and died on the road the rest arrived safely at at mahishmati where the queen was well received by the king amritavarma a half brother of her husband and where she devoted herself to the education of her son hoping that he might one day recover his father's kingdom after a time however that king sought to marry his brother's widow and having been rejected by her determined to take revenge by killing her son the queen having discovered his intentions sent for me and said my life is wrapped up in this body i can endure anything so long as he is safe take him and make your escape at once i know not where to send you but if you can find a safe refuge let me know and i will come to you if possible in obedience to her commands i took the boy succeeded in escaping with him and reached a shepherd's hut on the borders of this forest there we stayed a few days till i saw a young man whom i suspected to be searching for us fearing discovery i left the cottage and entered the forest here while trying to get water to quench the poor child's burning thirst i slipped into the well where i should have perished but for your timely assistance and now having done us this kindness will you add to it by protecting the boy and helping us reach a place of safety who was his mother i asked of what family was she she is the daughter of the king of avadh he answered and her mother was sagaradatta daughter of vaisravana a merchant of pataliputra if so i replied she and my father are cousins by the mother's side this boy is therefore my relation and has and has a right to my protection the old man was much pleased at hearing this and i promised not only to protect the boy but to contrive some means for reinstating him in his proper position and overcoming that wicked king of asmaka with cunning equal to his own for the present however the most needful thing was to procure food while i was considering how to obtain this two deer passed persuaded by a forester who shot three arrows and missed them let fall his bow and two remaining arrows hastily snatching up these i discharged the arrows in rapid succession and killed both the deer one of them i gave to the hunter and other i prepared and roasted a part of it for ourselves the forester was astonished by my skill and delighted at the acquisition of so much food and it occurred to me that i might get some information from him i asked him therefore do you know anything of what is going on at mahishmati i was there early this morning he answered for i had a tiger skin and other skins to sell and great festivities were in preparation the prince prachandavarma the king's younger brother is about to marry the princess manjuwadini and the rejoicings are on this account 
After the forester was gone, I said to the old man, whose name was Nali Janga, that fresh Amrita Varma is trying to make it up with his sister-in-law by promoting a good marriage for her daughter. No doubt he thinks to persuade her to recall her son, that he may have him in his power. Do you therefore leave the boy with me and go back at once to his mother. Tell her how you have met with me and that the child is quite safe under my protection, but give out in public that he has been carried off and devoured by a tiger. I shall come to the city disguised as a beggar. Do you wait for me near the cemetery? All this he promised to do, and set off immediately, having first received further directions for the guidance of the queen. After some days, it was generally understood at Mahishmati that the boy who had escaped into the forest had been killed by a tiger, and the king secretly rejoicing went to condole with the mother. She appeared as if greatly distressed by the news, and said to him, I look upon the death of my son as a judgment upon me for not with your wishes, and am therefore now ready to become your wife. The old wretch was delighted at her compliance, and preparations were made for the marriage. On the appointed day, in the presence of a numerous assembly, she took a small leafy branch, and dipping it in what appeared to be water, but which clearly contained a deadly poison, struck him gently with it on the face, saying, If you are acting right, this will not injure you. If you are sending in, taking me, your brother's wife, and I am faithful to my husband, may this be like the blow of a sword to you. Such was the strength of the poison that he fell dead almost instantaneously. Then, dipping the same branch into other water containing an antidote, she struck her daughter in a similar manner, and, as no injury followed, the spectators were fully convinced that the death of Amrita Varma was a punishment from heaven. By my directions, and in order to throw him off his guard, she said to Prachanda Varma, The throne is now vacant. You should occupy it at once and make my daughter your queen. He listened to the suggestion, and as the young boy, the nephew of the late king, was supposed to be dead, no opposition was made by the people. Then the queen, Vasundara, also by my directions, sent for some of the late king's ministers and of the elders of the city, whom she knew to be ill-affected towards Prashanda Varma, and said to them, Last night the goddess Durga appeared to me in a vision and said, Your child is safe. I myself, in the form of a tigress, carried him away to save him from his enemies. In four days from this time, Prashanda Varma will suddenly die. On the fifth day, let all the authorities assemble round my temple on the bank of the river and close the doors, having ascertained that no one is concealed inside. After waiting for an hour, the door will be opened and a young Brahman will come forth holding your son by the hand. That boy will become the king of Vidarbha, and that Brahman is to marry your daughter. After the divine manifestation in favor of the queen, when Amritavarma was struck dead, this account of the vision was readily believed by her hearers, who promised to keep the secret and to be guided by her secret and to be guided by her directions. When the fourth day arrived, I entered the city, disguised as a beggar, and brought the boy to his delighted mother, who introduced me to her daughter, whom I greatly admired, and she, though agitated, was evidently pleased with me, even under such a disguise. I did not venture to stay long 
and after receiving alarms and assuring the queen that the imagined dream would prove true, I went away, taking the boy with me, and in parting, in order to deceive her attendants, she said aloud, Your application shall not have been in vain. I will take care to protect your boy. Nali Janga, the old servant whom I had rescued in the forest, met me on my arrival, and was sitting at the place which I had appointed. I went to him there and asked him for the information as to the movements and, and occupations of the new king. That doomed man, he answered, thinking all obstacles to be removed and rejoicing at, at his accession to power, is now amusing himself in the, in the palace gardens with a number of actors, tumblers and dancing girls. I could not have a better opportunity, I replied. Do you therefore stay here with the boy and wait for me in this old ruin? I shall not be long gone. I then dressed myself in the clothes of a tumbler, which I had brought with me for the purpose, went boldly into the garden, presented myself to the king, and asked for permission to exhibit my skill before him. This was readily granted. An opportunity was soon given to me of showing what I could do and I obtained much applause from the spectators. After a time, I begged some of those present to lend me their wives, and I caused much astonishment by the way in which I appeared to balance myself on the points. Then, still, holding one of the knives, I imitated the pouncing of, of a hawk and an eagle, and having by degrees got near the king, I threw the knife with such a good aim that it pierced him to the heart, and shouted at the same time, Long live Vasanthapanu, that it might be supposed that I had been sent by him. After this, dashing by the guards, who tried to stop me, I suddenly leaped over the wall, and before any of my pursuers could cross it, I had run a long way on the other side, doubling back. I got behind a great heap of bricks and from thence concealed by the trees, in reaching the ruins unobserved. Here I changed my clothes and went back to the city as if nothing had happened. In order to have everything ready for my intended concealment, I had gone secretly the day before to the temple of Durga, and had there made an underground chamber, communicating with the interior through an opening in the wall, which was carefully closed with a large stone, and now, taking the boy with me, I entered the hiding place, having been furnished with suitable dresses and ornaments sent by the queen through Nali Janga. The assassination of Prachandavarma was universally attributed to his enemy, the king of Asmaka, and the first part of the prophecy of Durga, as told by the queen, being thus accomplished, there was no doubt on the part of those who were in the secret as to the fulfillment of the remainder. In the morning a great crowd was assembled around the temple, for although the secret of the queen's vision had been kept, it was generally understood that something wonderful was to take place there. Presently the queen and her attendants arrived, entered the building, and paid their devotions to the goddess, after which the whole temple was carefully searched to make sure that there was no one concealed there, and all having withdrawn, the doors were closed, and the people stood in silence, anxiously awaiting the pleasure of the goddess. A band then began to play, and kettle drums were loudly struck, so that the sound reached me in hiding place. Which was preconcerted signal. I made a great effort, moved the large stone, and came forth with the boy into the temple. 
Having changed our dress, I placed the old ones in the hole, carefully refitted the stone, and throwing the temple door wide open, stood in front of the astonished multitude, holding the young prince by the hand. While they were gazing in bewilderment, I thus addressed them. The great goddess Durga, who lately showed herself in a vision to the queen, has been pleased to restore to his longing mother this child, whom she, in the form of a tigress, had carried away, and she commands you by my mouth to accept him as your sovereign. And then turning to the queen, I said, Receive your child from the hands of Durga, who will henceforth protect him as, as her own son, and by her command accept me as the husband of your daughter. To the ministers and elders I said, The goddess has brought me here, not merely as a messenger of her will, but as a defender of your country from that wicked king of Asmaka, whose cruel and unscrupulous intrigues are well known. Accept me, therefore, as your deliverer and as the guardian of the young king appointed, appointed by Durga. Upon this all broke into loud acclamations, saying, Great is the power of the glorious Durga, happy the country of which you are the protector and I was conducted in triumph to the palace, together with the queen, who could now openly show her joy at the recovery of his son. So well had I managed that no suspicion arose of the deception which had been practiced, and all people venerated the young king as being especially under the protection of the goddess, and me as the agent chosen by her for his restoration. Thus my authority was well established. I caused in due time the young prince to be formally proclaimed king, and had him carefully educated, and I myself received the hand of the lovely Manjavatini as the reward of my services and in obedience to the commands of Durga. After some time, however, I began to reflect, though my position now seems quite secure, yet after all I am a foreigner here, and when the first burst of admiration is over, people may perhaps begin to ask, who is the stranger who has come among us in such a mysterious manner? What is he that he should thus lord it over us? And it occurred to me that if I could make friends with an old and much respected minister named Ariketu, so as to trust him entirely, he might be of great assistance to me. Before, however, making any overtures to him, I decided Narijanga to try him secretly and ascertain his feelings towards me. My agent, therefore, had many interviews with him and tried to persuade him that it was not for the good of, of the country that a stranger and foreigner should occupy such an important position, which ought rather to be held by a native, and that it would be very desirable to get rid of me. To all this Ariketu answered, Do not speak against against so good a man and one of such wonderful ability, and note with such great courage, generos generosity and kindness. So many good qualities are rarely found united in one person. I esteem the country very fortunate in, in having such a ruler and am convinced that through him the king of Asmaka will one day be driven out and our prince established on his father's throne. Nothing shall induce me to plot against such a man. After hearing this from Narjanga, I tried the old minister in various ways and seeing no reason to doubt his fidelity and attachment, I gave him my full confidence and found him a most useful friend. With his advice and assistance, I was able to appoint efficient officers in every department. I increased religion and punished heresy. I kept each of the four castes in their proper sphere and without oppressing the people. I collected a large revenue, for there is nothing worse than weakness in a ruler. 
and without money he cannot be strong. The story breaks off abruptly. End of Hindu Tales or The Adventures of Ten Princes by Danton Translated by P. W. Jacob